You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 662 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Tuesday evening uh, after a day off, a rare day off yesterday from the podcast. I am joined today by everyone's favorite Atlanta Hawks enthusiast, Jeff Siegel. What's up, man? I'm I'm doing fantastic. Just <laughs> riling up the fan base whenever I get a chance to. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun because I don't have to deal with any of the fallout, and you do, and it's a funny little inside joke that we all have. Yeah, uh... As I, as I said on Twitter earlier today, Jeff hates the Hawks so much that he spent his entire weekend going to cover them, driving hundreds of miles and uh, doing it for virtually free. So uh, there you go. Pretty much. Uh, that's, uh, that's the way this goes. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for joining me, sir. Um, spoiler alert, you're going to be gone for a while, so this will be the last time you're on the podcast for like a month plus, which is exciting. Yeah, I'm going to be gone. Uh, people do not know this other than you and a few other people, uh, but I will be gone for about a month. I'll be back December 15th. But I'm going to go to Europe for a little bit and just kind of hang. I've got a friend who could get away and needed to uh, have a, a travel buddy while he goes to Croatia and Bosnia and Germany and stuff. And so we're going to go run around Europe for you know three and a half weeks, and then I'll be back uh, right as trade season opens on December 15th. So it, it's it's going to be a little bit of a, a weird thing to step away in the middle of the season like this, but I think it'll be uh, it'll be fun. Somehow you'll pop up, I, I imagine, somewhere on, t- on the Twitter, oh, yeah. on, on the Twitter machine along the way. But not on this podcast. I'll do something, and and I'll I'll put something out there just to rile people up again. <laughs> Moving right along uh, from that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there there you go on uh, Jeff's future plans. But let's talk about the Hawks a little bit. A couple of news items, at least newsy items, that happened on Tuesday. We can start with. Uh, Vince Carter, who missed the entire road trip, um, with quote personal reasons, was that was the, that was what it was listed on the injury report, and we found out on Tuesday um, via Sarah Spencer, um, and also via, I guess via Lloyd Pierce through Sarah, Sarah through, through Sarah Spencer that uh, Vince had a baby, um, which is the best possible thing for personal reasons. So I'm glad it wasn't bad news for Vince, um, but. The reason I'm even bringing this up because I didn't, I purposely didn't really talk about it while he was out, other than just acknowledging that he was out, is that they actually really missed Vince during this, uh, during his absence over the uh, over the over the I guess week plus of the road trip, because without John Collins, he is the backup power forward, like very clearly behind Jabari Parker, and they didn't really have another one. They were playing Bruno there, so um, I'm going to ask you just the basketball question of how much is it, how much does it matter that Vince is back? Is it, it's weird to talk about this because Vince wasn't supposed to matter all that much this year, but he suddenly really matters. Yeah, I mean, certainly with Collins going out, he matters quite a bit, and uh, it's it was it was an interesting thing to try to see them juggle the the backup four minutes without John Collins, without Vince Carter in the in their lineup. They were you know they went to Bruno a ton, they went to you know Chandler Parsons played whatever it was two and a half minutes against the Lakers, and that was it a didn't disaster. Go well. <laughs> um, it you know they they've done some small ball with, you know, DeAndre Hunter playing up into the, into the four they play. I mean, whenever Evan Turner is on the floor, it's like, it's positions are like almost something that don't, you know, are just a concept and they don't really matter. You know, it's, it's something where, you know, like Evan Turner was defending LeBron James, but was the point guard on offense. So it's like, what position is that? Do you put them together and he's a two guard or do you separate them so that he's a point guard on offense and a, and a, you know, power forward, small forward on defense. Like what, a, you know, especially against the Lakers who play this massive style as well, where LeBron is the point guard, but does never defends point guard. So like what position is he playing? So it's very weird, but against normal teams, they were mostly going with like Jabari at the four to start. And then some Bruno, some Deandre Hunter, you know, they were going, you know, they even played some small ball with Jabari at the five as well, which didn't go well at all. Um, and, and Pierce said that he just hates that look. So he's not going to go back to that too much more, you know, so it's, it's been a, it's been weird to, to even think about the fact that Vince has been missed as much as he has over these last five games. Yeah. I mean, I said it a few times during the trip, but it just kind of got overlooked a little bit just because of the circumstances, like not knowing what was going on there and not wanting to pry too much into personal reasons. Cause I, uh, I, I definitely value, you know, players having some privacy on that kind of stuff. So I wasn't going to ask about it. And of course I wasn't on the trip, um, but wasn't going to pry from in the ways that I can on the road. But 
yeah, I mean, Vince was just, it's, this is kind of misleading, uh, more than kind of misleading, but hilariously, Vince has the best net rating on the team right now. It's a, <laughs> The Hawks are plus 16, which is a ridiculous figure in the 116 minutes that Vince has played in eight games this year. Now, that's not going to continue, obviously, but uh, pretty funny. And, you know, aside from just being a backup power forward, his shooting is super valuable. We talked about this a lot um, for the last year plus now. I'm talking about Vince, but particularly now without Kevin Herter, they essentially have two guys who are good shooters, uh, Trey Young and Alan Crabb, and Vince is the third, which is nice because um, they just need they need shooting. They have guys who can shoot, obviously. I'm not saying they have guys that can't shoot, but in terms of guys who are legitimately, we just know are good shooters that have real gravity, um, having another one of those guys is valuable for the offense. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, well said. I think, I mean, a guy, a guy like DeAndre Hunter had, you know, has a small amount of gravity. Yeah. He has more he gravity than I thought he would. And certainly than I would if I were defending against them. Like he, you know, it, well, I mean, we may talk about this a little bit later with Hunter, but, you know, he, they worked some pick and pop with him. And I, I wrote about this in my sort of wrap up of the Lakers game. They, they ran like six or seven pick and pops with him and Trey Young. And Hunter had like legitimate gravity to the point where like two Lakers would go to him and leave Trey wide open or like Troy Daniels would like hedge and then have to and then scamper back to Hunter before he was really done hedging. And then Trey ran in for a layup. And it's like, obviously, you know, that's Troy Daniels. But one time it was LeBron James, you know, so it's not like it was just Troy Daniels. So it was very much he had more gravity as a pick and pop three point shooter than I thought he would and then certainly than I would if I were an opposing coach I would sort of instruct guys to be like you know it'd be better to let him shoot than to let Trey Young get you know get to the rim or take his own shot so you know I think it was uh that was a little bit surprising and so I think he's you know he's put together a pretty decent early part of the season as from a from a shooting perspective so he's in that conversation but in terms of guys that we just like absolutely know will you know draw uh it will draw the defense toward them on on the three-point line it's really just those three guys yeah, so we'll see how much Vince plays, but I am confident, um, maybe not 100% confident, but pr- pretty confident that as long as Vince is able to play, we will not see so much of Bruno at the four. Um, I-, I don't think that that's a plan that the Hawks want to go to. I know I-, I asked about this earlier. I think Kevin probably did as well, if I remember right. Uh, early in the season when Bruno played a little bit of power forward, and Lloyd Pierce kind of immediately said that was not going to be the plan for him. Um, he played there this week because he had to, um, but I don't think... And in fact, well, this is me saying my own, my own analysis now. I am confident that that is not a tenable situation. I think Bruno playing the four right now is not going to work. Um, and it obviously has not worked. Um, you know, whether he plays more minutes at center based on Jones and Lennon is a, is a different question. But um, just, you know, getting getting by, hopefully, with your backup four minutes, being Vince and maybe some Evan Turner um, is much better than having to go to Fernando out of position at the four. Yeah, I mean, certainly that uh, makes a lot of sense to me, Fernando is not a four and he's, he's barely a five. I mean, he's, he's just, he's, he's, he's a rookie, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a rookie big. He has no idea what he's yeah. doing most of the time. <laughs> he's a rookie. Yeah. He's a rookie big man who is just sort of lost and, and things it's very clear that he just doesn't know where to be on either end of the floor. And it's just sort of running around like a chicken with his head cut off and trying to do the best he can. But, you know, putting him out there at the four, you know, just exacerbates that problem. Yeah, that, is, that does not mean that Bruno is uh, is, lo- is lost or is someone I'm giving up on, etc. It just means that he's not really ready to play at a high level at this moment, which is not breaking news to anyone that's actually watched uh, the last few games. Uh, all right, Jeff, a couple, a couple more things to talk about, but I do want to take a quick break early on in the podcast, talk about the good folks at MyBookie, because during Thanksgiving week, MyBookie is offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. If you win, congratulations, you've got extra holiday spending money. If you lose, congratulations to you as well because my bookie will give you all your money back. It's a no-brainer because you literally can't lose on this particular bet. It's no risk, all gravy. It doesn't matter whether you're an experienced player or a first-time customer. My bookie welcomes all to come come and play. So quick waiting around and sign up today. Do you find yourself wanting to sports bet but have lots of questions? Don't sweat it because my bookie's patient customer service team can walk you through the process and the best part is if you join this thanksgiving week you'll have at least one shot take advantage of their incredible sign up offer log in to mybookie.ag today 
and make your first deposit with promo code LOCKEDONNBA. My bookie will then match your first deposit dollar for dollar, jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of the risk-free bet that I mentioned a second ago. One more time, that's a guaranteed deposit match and a risk-free bet on Thanksgiving only. So if you're a true fan, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by, you simply can't lose. Make sure you go to do your part and to support um, your team this season. Also hop on the gravy train and get into the action with my bookie using promo code LOCKEDONNBA. One more time, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, Jeff. Um, let's talk about what Travis Schlenk said. I was going to go somewhere else, but I'll, I'll, I'll hold on to that for later. Uh, Travis Schlenk did a radio interview on Tuesday morning at 92.9 The Game, the official flagship of the Hawks. And uh, I did not hear this, but Kevin Chenard, shouts to Kevin, the host of the ATL 29 podcast and Hawks.com writer, heard this po- heard the uh, interview. And uh, it was at least the snippet that I saw Kevin tweeting about was about Kevin Herter. And uh, no huge surprise here, but Schlenk was quoted as saying, I'm going to quote here directly, hopefully we're only looking at a four or five week process, end quote. Um, he still he still referred to it as good news, but if you remember this, um, when the Hawks announced the Herder timeline, it was announced as being, quote, reevaluated, end quote, in two weeks, which I stress at the time. I know you and I talked about this off- offline as well. Reevaluation does not mean return ever. That is not necessarily what that means. Um, so, you know, Schlenk's probably being a little bit more realistic with his four or five week timeline. Um, the injury happened on November 12th in Denver. Four weeks after that would be December 10th. So, and that's that's obviously on the conservative side based on what Schlank said. Ho- hopefully, we're looking at four or five week process. Um, so it could be mid December, could be late December. We'll see. There's always a little bit a little a little bit of gray area here. But um, I thought it was at least noteworthy that he's going to be out for a while. I, I say all that to ask you, Jeff, if the Hawks have to now navigate you know three more weeks at least without John Collins and Kevin Herter, how are they going to do it? Because it's not breaking news to anybody that's listening to this podcast probably, but th- this is not a uh, not, not a good basketball team without two of those guys. Yeah, I mean, they're going to lose a lot, and that's kind of the way that's going to work. You know, they're not going to be um, overly competitive without their second and third best players probably. I mean, you know, certainly coming into the year, healthy. you would have said that. I mean, maybe Jabari's in that conversation now, but certainly two of their top four. Yeah, I mean, we'll we at some point we can probably have a conversation about like what Jabari's giving back on the defensive end, but at this point, I mean, certainly he's been a a positive. He's been a net positive. He's their either their third or fourth best player, depending on how much you like Kevin Herter and you know how healthy Herter is going to be or or is. You know, he had a really rough start to the year coming back from his own injury or his own, you know that I think it was the knee uh, yeah. coming back, and then he finally got you know a game and a half under his belt that where he was really playing like the old Kevin Herter, you know, and that he, you know, had the shoulder injury. And so, you know, we'll see what he looks like when he comes back, but just in terms of navigating this time over the next, you know, three and a half weeks, three and a half, four or five, five weeks, depending on when, uh, when he comes back and then Collins will be back, you know, right around Christmas, it's going to be ugly. Like it just sort of is like, we thought it was going to be ugly anyway, because their schedule is so difficult early on in the season. And then it was going to get easier in the new year. And then, you know, you add in these, these major injuries to, you know, two of their, at least two of their four best players. And it's, you know, it's going to be even uglier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not stop breaking news. I do want to dig into it a little bit as to how they have looked at it so far and how they're going to look at it in the future. Because, you know, you were in L.A. this weekend. We all got to watch, but you were you were there getting the vibe. And obviously a couple blowouts makes it interesting. Um, but, you know, as for uh, – you know, Collins has been out for a while, so we've, we've seen more of that. As for being without Herder now, it helps to have Alan Crabb back. Alan Crabb hasn't looked fantastic, but the shooting you can certainly tell – is a thing that he can do, um, you know, and then you go into the the two rookies, et cetera. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of two questions. One is how should they use the perimeter rotation? And then the second would be how will they? Because I think we know if if they were just trying to win games, um, there would be less Cam Reddish, um, maybe none. But um, we know that he's going to play, and that's the right move for a team that's still rebuilding. Um, so that's kind of the the one easy one to get into here. But how would you form this rotation right now? Because Evan Turner did flash some things. I know you like Evan Turner more than I do. So do you want to see more Evan Turner? Uh, you know, he's on the injury report, actually, for Wednesday, as, as questionable with the Achilles. That's, that's just going to linger, it seems. But if he's healthy, it seems like Evan Turner should play more. Yeah, I mean, I would expect so, just based on – and it's not – for me, I think the the biggest thing that they're missing with Kevin Herter being out and John Collins, you know, to an extent, though he's 
different in this way is that they're missing playmaking, not necessarily outside shooting. And I, and of course, Herder's outside shooting helps his, you know, his overall value, but they can cobble together enough outside shooting with Trey's just immense amount of gravity. And then Crab is out there. Vince will be back out there. We talked about Hunter, you know, his ability to shoot. Reddish hasn't made any shots, but he's not just being <laughs> He's not being ignored like he's Tony Allen or Evan Turner. Not not you know, yet anyway. That that might not, change, not, I mean, but it hasn't yet. That may change by you know by the next time they play. You know, as, as this comes out, I think they're gonna, they're going to play tomorrow. So he's still being you know, guarded think, though. Like to your to your point, he's still being guarded. He's not getting the Andre Robertson treatment at this point, right? Which is important, and that's probably more important than whether the shots go in. Obviously, long term, you'd like the shots to go in because then that gravity is going to dissipate if it doesn't. But for now, the the floor spacing for me, hasn't been like this overwhelming issue where they're just running into, you know, with Trey Young on the floor. Obviously, when when it's Evan Turner's show, it, it gets a little bit more clogged up in the middle. But, <laughs> yes. you know, for the most part, when you're playing three quarters of the game, for the mo- you know, you're playing 32 to 36 minutes of, of Trey Young every night, for the most part, the offense hasn't been clogged up in a, in a shooting sense. It's really been more clogged up in a playmaking sense in that, the the guys that they have around Trey are not the high level secondary playmakers that they may be eventually in Reddish and Hunter, but certainly nobody is touching what Kevin Herter's been able to do as that sort of secondary playmaker on the weak side who Trey can sort of swing the ball to and that guy can make a play off the dribble for himself or for his teammates. That's that's I think what's missing more than anything else. And John is not necessarily like this great, you know, short roll playmaker, but he's got his own sent gravity as he's rolling to the rim that nobody else has really been able to replicate. You know, that's a big reason why they moved Damian Jones into the starting lineup to try to replicate some of John Collins ability to, to, to sort of collapse the defense into the paint when he rolls to the rim. And Jones has been able to do that a little bit. The offense has looked better. I think with him on the floor than with Alex Len, just based on that, that lob threat being right there for, for young to, to hit. But you know, the, the, the lack, the, the step down basically from, you know, the secondary playmaking of Kevin Herter to DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish and the sort of step down in in role man gravity from John Collins to Damian Jones, that's a bigger problem, I think, than the the lack of shooting on the outside. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely both, like you said, uh, you know, especially with, I think Herter's shooting gravity is big, but I think Collins, you know, it's not something that I thought he was going to be able to do when he was drafted, but he he has shown a pretty intriguing playmaking game. Not nothing extravagant, but certainly as a threat to do that in a way that none of the other bigs are. Unless you're counting Evan Turner, I know you have a personal um, affection for Evan Turner's short roll uh, short roll potential. But uh, as for it's but, all potential, that's for sure. <laughs> but everybody else, I mean, even Jabari. Jabari's a scorer. I mean, he, he knows he's a scorer, yes. and that's just what that is. Collins is a and scorer he, too. He knows but, it. Like he'll tell. He'll say, like, no, I'm a scorer. Yeah. And so I, like you put him in short roll situations, and he goes to the rim, and it's like that's fine because he's a great finisher. You know, both hands, great touch, can dunk on top of anybody. But it's like that, you know, sometimes maybe thinking a pass to a corner three would be nice, and he doesn't do that. Yeah, they just don't have, I mean, I guess granting now that we're going to basically see Trey Young blitzed almost constantly forever yeah. at this point. And, the, you know, guys that are treated that way, it's obviously a lot of respect for Trey Young, but when you don't have anybody that can make you pay, and right now the Hawks really don't have anybody aside from Jabari as a scorer that can make them pay, and I think the absence of Collins and that role even is really harmful. So you have yeah. a bunch of intrigue there. We've obviously seen them without Collins now for a while, and Jabari fills that role admirably in some ways as a scorer, but they just don't have, I don't know. I mean, the Damian Jones thing, I get it. I think we've now seen some life from Alex Lynn offensively for two straight games, which is encouraging because Alex Lynn is just, he's better than Damian Jones. It's just what it is. Alex Overall, Lynn is yeah, player. but I think specifically for what they're looking for from a role man, Jones, yeah, Jones, has, Jones the, the is better. I mean, off- offensively, in that exact setting, you're right. That, that is pro- that's probably the only thing that Jones does better than Alex Lynn on a basketball court. Yes, um, but he does, but he, he does that better than Alex Lynn, no question. And because Lynn's hands and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's just it's kind of a lot of give and take because they have lineups that you can see defensively working. They can really muck it up. They played some lineups that are hideous offensively in the last week or so. Whenever Trey left the court, it was like Ty Wallace and Evan Turner and DeAndre Bembry on the court together, and it's like okay, I can't watch this. But defensively, those lineups would be great. But offensively, 
I mean, Trey covers up a lot of sins. We know that already. But, man, this is not breaking news, but it's even worse now when he leaves the court. Because at least before, you could have theoretically staggered him and Collins or him and Herter and had at least a potent offensive option. They did that that a little bit with Jabari on the trip. But... (laughs) If if you take both those guys off the court together, like I don't even I don't know how you score. Like I'm not even being hyperbolic. It's just I don't understand how they're supposed to function. And we've we've seen that now. And obviously they couldn't have planned for Collins and the suspension. They couldn't have planned for Herder getting hurt again. But man, it is uh it's dire at times. Uh just because, you know, there's a lot of factors in play. I mean, the other one is you're playing two rookies on the wing, and I think Hunter doesn't play like a rookie all the time, but Reddish certainly does. And it's just stuff that you have to get through. And right now the schedule isn't doing you any favors either. So none of this is like brand new, but I think the sort of the magnitude of having to do three or four more weeks without those guys is kind of, it kind of hit me earlier this weekend. Like obviously the LA games were brutal to watch in a number of ways, but that was one of them. It's like, Oh, this is going to, this is the roster. I mean, you get to add Vince, but other than that, this is the roster you have for a month. And that is uh, troubling because Trey, if he's not having, if Trey doesn't have 45 points, I don't, you know, offensive, offensively, it's just kind of a mess. Yeah. I mean, and that's the way it's going to be, unfortunately, for a little while. Like they, they sort of built this team in the summer to have a lot of sort of defensive minded players off the bench. And then sort of with Jabari and Jabari and Evan Turner were sort of going to be this the backup fulcrums to, uh, of the offense when the, the starters were out of the game. And, you know, we had conversations about how well that would work. We haven't really been able to see that, you know, too much because Evan Turner was hurt. And then, you know, Collins got suspended and, and Jabari was moved into the starting lineup. And it's, you know, really, re, you know, really uh, changed up how, how Lloyd Pierce is running his rotations. And, of course, Jabari being such a good role man with, you know, playing off of Trey Young's gravity has really, you know, opened up his role and he's playing a lot better than he's ever played before, you know, but it's just, yeah. I mean, like you said, it's going to, it's going to be really difficult. We've we saw a little bit of like Jabari without Trey and they were sort of running post-ups for him and he was, you know, dribble, dribble, ISO game. And it was, you know, the same kind of stuff that he's been running his whole career. And it was mildly efficient and fine and like I mean, it's not it's not great but honestly that that is still it's better than better. what they've got right i mean as funny as that is like i am not a proponent of running iso jabari that's not his best role in my opinion i think we've seen him in his best role already as just a play finisher like he can he can obviously do a little bit of the iso stuff but his play finishing has been really impressive but even with all of that said running iso jabari is better than basically everything else you can do without trey on the court with the current construction yeah. of the team. Like you don't have, I mean, I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but when, if you take Trey out of the equation, I'm going to list, I'm just going to list the guys out loud to you right now, Jeff. You have Evan Turner, you have DeAndre Bembry, you have Cam Reddish, you have DeAndre Hunter, you have Alan Crabb, who's a good, a good offensive player because of his shooting. Um, obviously you have Jabari, Vince, who's dependent completely. And then you have the centers like, and Ty Wallace and Chandler Parsons, if he, if he can maybe play, but we saw that he probably can't. I mean, it's not hard to figure out that that's not going to work, but sometimes it's just worth saying it out loud or writing it down. Like I, I tweeted out Trey's stats today just because I saw them on a, on, on a page and I said, wow, you know, we all know he's been really good, but just seeing it in one place is like, oh, that's incredibly impressive. And it, this is the opposite of that. If you just look at the roster, take Trey out of the mix, take Herter out of the mix and take Collins out of the mix, it is... Like it is a war zone on on offense. It just it yeah. just is. I mean, how many of those guys can create a shot reliably, like a good shot? None. Like, anybody? I mean, Jabari. Like, I don't think there's a, Jabari. Jabari can That's create something. Yeah. Right. Like he can create something that is not zero, literally a zero. Yeah. I mean, I, I think. You know? But the problem the, the problem with that is this is not his fault. Is that if Trey's off the court. And teams know Jabari's the fulcrum, they're going to give him a lot of attention, and they should. Sure. And he's not someone that's going to beat you with, with his passing. Like, he's shown no. a little bit of passing this year, but he's not going to dice you up. He's he's a scorer. So, right. And Evan Turner will dice you up, but you don't have to guard him correct. unless he's, like, literally right at the rim. <laughs> they have some guys who can pass. It's just, oh, man. I, right. I don't want to go too, 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 too far down the rabbit hole. And, but like, it's just... everybody seems like all of their backup guard ball handler types have one skill but they don't have a second skill right jabari can score but he can't pass 
Evan Turner can pass, but he can't score, can't shoot, can't has to have the ball in his hands, right? Ty yep. Wallace can get to the rim, eh, can finish sometimes, depending on the year, depending on you know whatever. But he's not a passer. Can basically just get to the rim. And he's not going to play. Same, same I mean, we, we see that with Wallace now. I think if if Evan Turner and Allen Crabber healthy, Ty Wallace is not going to play. We've yeah, now seen probably that, not. Which is okay. I mean, I'm not upset well, about yeah, that. It's fine. But, no, not at all. No, it's, I don't know. It's worth noting. Ben can get to the rim, but he turns the ball over a ton and is not that great of a passer and is you know, just not, you know, obviously can't shoot either. So, like, it's just they've got a whole bunch of guys who are singularly skilled and nobody who's multifaceted. And that's what they're really missing with Herter and when Trey Young's off the floor. Yeah. I mean, it, when Trey's on the court, the offense has still been good. And that is a giant testament to Trey Young. Because yes. like we just said, the the other talent is not, you know, is not great. The, the Honestly, are there – okay, I'm, here's, a, here's a fun question for you, Jeff. How many above-average offensive players do the Hawks have right now? Is is the number two? The number is two, yes. Okay. So that, that, says all, that says it all. But yeah, I was pulling up the Trey numbers. With Trey on the court this season, the Hawks have a 108.4 offensive rating. Now, that is a little bit less than it would be if they had Herter and Collins. Because even last year, they were like 110 with Herter and Collins and Young. So, but still, like the fact that Trey's been able That's to like put an up, average offense, yeah, an average, an average ish offense with this supporting cast for you know, without Collins for more than half the season now and Herter for half of it, even and early on, it was it was a very reduced Herter, yeah. I, mean, I think really Herter's played like Herter for a like game two and a half. games, yeah. I mean, so. That's a massive testament to, Dre, to to Trey's brilliance offensively, um, but he can only do so much. Like he's only one guy. There'll, there'll be a game or two he wins by himself. We've already seen that this year, where he's capable of doing that. But if you're only going to be average when Trey's on the floor offensively, it's not going to work. Like you're not going to win games, and that's not it's not his fault by any means. It's not Trey's own Trey, no. Trey Young's fault at all. But you're I not going to win. You could games. make a really like if you just looked at the word valuable to his team you could make a pretty strong case for trey young as like the most to his team right now based on the injury and roster situations he might be (laughs) the most valuable on-off player in the league i mean he would be on a very short list for sure just because honestly you know of course he's he's very good and the other part of it is like you know, J- James Harden is carrying a ridiculous workload, but if he if he was out for two weeks, it would become the Russell Westbrook show, and they'd be decent. Like they wouldn't yeah. be great; they wouldn't be as good as they were yeah, with James Harden. A, but whatever, forty win team. They have another guy weeks. that can do that. Like LeBron, if LeBron got hurt, they'd still they wouldn't be great. But they have AD. They have a top seven player that's next to him. Um, you know, Giannis is interesting in the conversation, um, yeah. obviously because Giannis is incredible. But the Bucks just have a lot more competent players they're not exciting sure players yeah they've got a lot of veterans who know what they're doing they've got a system that's been grilled into those guys and they don't play rookies and they don't play you know cam reddish is not getting minutes well and bud uh, i mean bud too bud has some faults but bud can construct a system that works we've seen that yes twice with with talent that is not absolute top end talent he did it in Atlanta. um obviously he has a pretty good talent early on but still anyway yeah i mean all that to say trey young incredibly valuable but you know (laughs) <laughs> he's gonna have to play 40 minutes a game i mean i looked up i looked up the other night i think it was in the lakers game and when they were kind of being competitive when they when they, when they got up to 10 i looked at his minutes and i was like if if this stays competitive he's gonna have to play 41 minutes on the second out of a back-to-back because he was not yeah. gonna come out again if that, if that game got close he was playing the, he was playing the whole rest of the way and sure. that was kind of how you had to do it because if he comes off the court for 10 minutes in a game like you might lose by 10 and that's yeah and not that's gonna be the end of it he's He's um, good and he's great, but nobody's that great. No, I mean it's like it's like the most recent comparison I can point to is Joel Embiid last year in the playoffs yeah, for Philly. I just thought about that, uh, where they just couldn't they couldn't sustain without him. And yeah. Trey, obviously, this, this team is not that good. Six minutes and they'd lose by eighteen, and then right. that was it. I mean, obviously, this team is in a different place than that Philly team was. Sure, um, and the expectations are lower, et cetera. But that's the first thing that came to mind when I was. The results are the same, though. Like when yeah. they're when the star guy ex- ex- exits the game, everything goes to hell. Whether it's in the second round of the playoffs or it's in you know a regular you know uh, just a normal regular season game against anybody, things are just going to fall apart without Trey. And it's just you know it's a it's unfortunate certainly, and it's just it's not necessarily. I, ro- I mean, there's part of it that's a roster building issue, but you know, the, the uh, injuries and suspensions cannot be planned for really. And, no. and you can, 
especially when they both come at the same time during this, you know, the toughest stretch of the season, you know, it's just, it's, it's an unfortunate set of circumstances, but you know, there were also certainly things that we quibbled with and you could still quibble with, you know, in terms of how this, this team was constructed in the off season. For sure. Um, all right. Two, two more topics I want to get to, and uh, then I'll get you out of here. The next one, um, you wrote about Cam Reddish's defense on Tuesday morning for Peachtree Hoops, which I uh, thoroughly enjoyed and shared with the people. Um, I'm not going to have you give that all away, but I wanted to, I want to kind of talk about the defense of Hunter and Reddish a little bit. You know, we've talked about. I don't want to pile on the Reddish offense thing right now because we we could do it all day. The numbers are just staggering, but. I wanted to ask you about Hunter as a full player because I feel like I haven't talked about him enough, which is kind of crazy for a top five pick, but he's just kind of the, one of those guys that is easy not to talk about. Um, so what do you make of Hunter? And then also, I guess, plug your reddish piece without, without giving it all away. Yeah, I mean, Hunter, he does what he does. Like he's not like that was the kind of the, the profile of him coming out of Virginia is that he's just going to be the, you know, he's going to be your solid sort of three and D kind of forward. And that's kind of, I mean, that's a little bit of what he's been. He's got a little bit more sort of off the dribble game than I, uh, than I expected him to, to have. He had more of that in preseason and then it sort of has, it hasn't quite translated to the regular season as much as it could have, but you know, he's a rookie, you know, 10, 12 games into his career. Like this is not, there's certainly no reason to hit the panic button on his you know ability to create anything off the dribble. He's a fine passer. He can dribble with his right hand and get to the rim. He can dribble with his left hand for, two dribbles and then get a pull-up jumper, which isn't great, but he'll, he'll work on that and it'll be fine. You know, he, he's got that three point shot that we were talking about. The, the gravity is bigger than he probably deserves at this point. But if he keeps hitting shots, like maybe it's, you know, maybe, maybe people know more than I do about his three point shot. So, you know, I think that's something to, to monitor is how, how teams are treating him as a three point shooter. The, the Lakers certainly thought of him as a, as a high end, you know, pick and pop shooter. So, you know, I think he's, played you know he's played really well I, I think on the offensive end for a rookie I don't think he's necessarily bringing a ton of you know the, the high upside value stuff that you would want necessarily from like the fourth overall pick in a regular draft but this you know we know that this was not a regular draft and there was one superstar and maybe a second one in, in John Morant and maybe technically a third one in RJ Barrett depending on how you know how Barrett develops in, in New York we'll <laughs> see um but once you got past those top three guys, there was no superstar talent. Like yeah, there I mean, just wasn't, there wasn't even like the super duper high upside guy that you could just take and hope like hell it works out, you know? So it's, we knew that it was going to be like this for Hunter. And I think it's, he's played two two expectations. I would say through this, you know, through the early stretch of the season. Yeah. Before we go on a little bit, I mean, I, I, I can already see it. I've got a couple of tweets and stuff in my mentions about this. I do think that, you know, it is worth pointing out that Hunter's efficiency is very bad right now. It looks, it looks, and I think it would get more attention if not for Reddish, not for Reddish honestly, because <laughs> Reddish's numbers are just like impossibly bad. But at the moment, Hunter has a 47% true shooting. Like that's, that's very bad. Um, he has a 12% turnover rate and only 7%, 7% assist rate. That's not good at all. And, you know, from an advanced metrics standpoint, like it's all negative and, He's a rookie. This is what's supposed to happen. I do think his defense is pretty solid already. You can correct me if you disagree. But, I mean, the shots got have to go in. I don't think Hunter is going to shoot 37% from the floor this year. He's shooting 40% on twos. That's going to go up, I'm fairly confident. Even if the three-point shooting does not, because right now it's 33%. That wouldn't It wouldn't stun me if that was his end-of-season number from three. But 40% from two, I think, was, I think it's going to go up. Um, so that will help a little bit stabilize things. And like I said, I mean, the, the comp that I used for his, like, impact year one was Mikael Bridges from last year. And it's basically what's happening. Like, he's playing 30 minutes a game on a pretty bad team. He's giving them solid defense. He's just, he's out there, and he's not killing them. Like, he's not blowing anybody away, but it's a rookie. And the only thing that I would have a qualm with in general about Hunter so far is his efficiency. And I just don't think it's going to be this bad for this long. I mean, it's a little bit the same thing as Reddish. I think Reddish, it's impossible for him to be that bad for any longer than, you know, a quarter of the season. Maybe he's not. I don't know. But, you know, Hunter, it's it's a different it's a different tier because it's been better. But I do think that there is some positive regression coming from that. And if that happens, then you're still talking about a guy who's probably a top, you know, seven or eight rookie in the league. Yeah, and I think that – I think the the two point 
percentage will go up because he'll take better shots at some point. Yeah. Like he'll be getting to the rim more often and he'll stop pulling up for those, those long twos that he has a bit more of an affinity for than I think anybody really wants him to have. Oh, and I mean, I that, that was, was, uh, that was, that was on tape in college. We talked about it a little bit. Like that was something yeah. that he did and they, they were okay with it clearly in college, but he, he definitely enjoyed the mid range in college. And yeah. And so I think getting him out of that mindset will be important, you know, whether that happens this year or over the summer or whatever, you know, at some point they're going to have to sit down with him and be like, Hey, you know, these two dribble, you know, 20 foot jump shots are not doing it for us. Like you're not, you're not going to be allowed to take those. Shots I mean, anymore. nobody should not nobody, but very few people should be taking those shots. <laughs> there are, you can count the number of people on like maybe one hand, maybe you need that second hand to count to, to, for those kind of players. And we're talking about the, of those 10 players, eight of them are in the top 10 players in the league. Yeah. Like we're, you know, we're really talking about like Kawhi and Paul George and the, you know, guys like that who should be taking those long mid range, you know, shots. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, I just want to at least get some stuff out there on, on Hunter. I feel like I haven't talked about him a ton. Um, your reddish thing, um, again, I'm not trying to give it all away, and there's some interesting quotes in there from Lloyd Pierce and Cam, which are worth reading for sure. Um, I, of course, looked at it before it went up and read it again after. Um, it backed up a lot of what we talked about from before the season um, and after the draft. I, I was pretty high on Cam's defense. I talked about that as a reason why I liked him in the draft. I think I was certainly higher on his defense and lower on his offense than some people were, but the, the total package got me into having him in the top 10, which is where he ended up going. But his defense, man, like the offense is what it is. But if you didn't, my, my overarching opinion, that's probably the best way I can describe this is if you didn't know Cam Reddish was a rookie on defense only, you know, I don't think you would know. You know what I mean? Like if someone told, if someone told you that he, like he was a fourth year guy on defense, no one would bat an eye. Like once you cross the half court line, it gets a little bit different, but his instincts are really good in my opinion. Like he's long, he's not a great athlete, but he's in the right place at the right time most of the time. And like having the pair of them, having him, having him and Hunter on the court defensively together is refreshing for someone who cares about defense. And I, I do more than most people. So that has been fun for me to watch. And that does a sort of account for at least part of the team's overall defensive uptick. I obviously over the weekend, it cratered, but in the first 11 games, um, they were much better on defense. And some of that was John Collins improving. Some of that's Trey Young improving. But some of it's also going from Torian Prince to Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter. Yeah, and you, you wouldn't – the national reputation doesn't necessarily – the national conversation around Reddish almost never mentions the, that side of the floor because why would it? You can, you've got this sensational other side of the floor, which is – and just abysmally awful. Like it's just there aren't words for how bad he's been. Well, I mean, but it, it's it's just like I'm, I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you keep going. But nationally, unless you are a diehard, like, and there are some people that you and I know that definitely have talked about Reddish's defense and have noticed it. You know, Matt Moore tweeted about it the other day. People that are really dialed in notice, but it's much easier to just point out that a guy is bottom five in every offensive category. That's just a much easier narrative to point out on a guy and point and kind of do the point and laugh thing. And I, I'm not about that. Like I have to point out how bad it's been at times on Twitter. And I, I, I almost feel bad tweeting out stuff or writing stuff about how bad his offense has been, but it has to be said because it is so bad. Um, but defense is just overlooked in general. And it's particularly overlooked here because he didn't have the rep either. I think if you watched him at Duke closely, if you were a draft guy, you probably noticed it. But it wasn't like he had this massive defensive reputation coming into the league either. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the conversation around the offense and just in terms of people clowning on him, at least for me, and like I put I put those tweets into the article that I had six or eight of them in the last couple of weeks that were like very negative and I was making fun of him. And I think a lot of that, from my point of view, has to do with I don't think that this is something that is going to extend past January, February. Like I, like I don't make fun of bad offensive players because they're bad. I make, I sort of, I, I can poke fun at Reddish because it's not going to be something that lasts forever. I don't, I believe that he's going to be an average or better than average offensive player at some point in his career and some point rather soon. Like he's going to, the three point shot will come around. It does not look broken. It just doesn't go in right now, but it's going to go in eventually because he's 
going to be able he's he's shown the ability to to hit those shots i think and he's going to show he's got the mechanics that don't scream this is broken like you which you watch him shoot you watch evan turner shoot and it's clear like reddish can shoot <laughs> and evan turner Th- cannot. thank you and for using the evan turner uh as the comparison for ken rush shooting but yes that's probably the uh, i mean it's a good one actually just, it's a good example because he they're shooting comparable percentages right now which is funny right but, but you Cam's look at shot reddish's does not shot look like and that. yeah reddish's shot looks great and it's going to be fine eventually he's going to learn what he can and cannot do athletically at the nba level like he's never had to learn what he can and cannot do athletically in in high school, even at, as a limited NBA level athlete in high school, he was the man. And of course he was the man. That's how he ended up at Duke. That's how he ended up as a top 10 pick. Like he was great. And then at Duke, he was injured and, and things were not great. And so, you know, you, you can sort of throw that out a little bit. I don't, I don't really think about it too much in terms of, you know, my future evaluation of him just because of the injury, because of the way that Duke plays, because they didn't have an offense. They didn't have a coach who did anything but recruit. Like they didn't have an actual <laughs> you offensive hate coach system. K so much. You, you absolutely I, hate just, coach he, I, I don't think that he's a coach. I think he's a good recruiter. He's a general manager. He's general manager K, not coach K. Um, and I, he's, I, I he puts together segment. some very good teams. He's a very good team builder. He gets the guys to play. But like he's not a coach. Like he's just their offensive system was here. Zion, <laughs> I didn't mean to get you, I didn't mean to get you in the right in, in the rabbit hole there on, on coach. Anyway, K. but I mean the, the Cam fact Reddish that thing. Yeah, go ahead. I don't. I just don't believe that his offense is going to be this bad forever. He's oh. going to learn what he can and can't do. He's just trying stuff. He's throwing mud at the wall and none of it's sticking and it looks awful. But eventually he'll find certain things that stick. The three point shot's going to stick. The passing is his best offensive skill right now. He'll find better ways to to be able to you know exacerbate that skill. Usually we use exacerbate negatively, but that's sort of the word that comes to mind positively here. He'll be able to sort of accentuate his passing ability, accentuate the things that he can do. A lot of those are not like drive to the rim and finish over contact because that's just not going to be his game. Eventually, he's going to figure that stuff out. So I don't I don't feel like his offense is it permanently broken? It's just temporarily broken. And when th- something is temporarily broken, it's kind of fun just to poke fun at it. Yeah. I, but uh, the defense is really good and it's been really good. And like your, your point about like, he could be a fourth year defender. If you just watch that, that side of the ball makes a lot of sense. Like he, he helps. He sometimes overhelps, which has been a problem for him and is a problem for help defenders across the league. Like sometimes Robert Covington overhelps and he's one of the best help guys in the league. It happens, you know. Especially as a rookie. Have... I mean, the rookie thing on top of everything else, like I, I think his instincts are actually quite good. I agree with you that he overhelps. Um, but, you know, just being a guy who under, seemingly understands where he's supposed to be and having a seven-foot ha- a seven wingspan and being active, those three things take you a long way like yeah. he, i think again go back to what i said before about not not thinking he's going to be a rookie on the defensive end of the floor if you just watched him it's not a situation where like with bruno early we talked about bruno fernando bruno is older than cam he played an extra year in college great it's a position that is much different and much more difficult frankly um being a big but bruno has no idea what to do cam reddish knows what to do like and so does hunter too and i don't want to leave hunter out necessarily but talking about Rush as you wrote about him, I just think that his tools are just good. I mean, he's not, he's not a freak athlete. He's just not. But when you're as long as he is at the, and right now he's playing the two a lot, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. If you're just a wing in general with a seven foot wingspan that knows where to be and is active and willing to participate on defense, and his effort's been good. Like, it's not like he's sulking around because of his bad offense. Like he's down on, I think, I think I'm sure Lloyd Pierce has said, Hey, Cam, it's going to be rough on the other on the other end sometimes, but if you play defense, you'll play. That, yeah. That's kind of the way that it feels, and that's part of that. Part of that's motivational, and part of that's the fact that he's going to play regardless because he should. It's a rebuilding team, but his defense shows, and that's something that I'm I'm happy that I was right about it so far. But I also just think that from a culture standpoint, having a bunch of guys around Trey Young that are willing to try on defense is really important, and. We even saw it from Collins. I mean, it was it was a small sample again, but the end of last season and the beginning of this season, Collins was playing defense. So if you have all of your supporting pieces or your high end supporting pieces all willing to try and execute defensively, that's what you have to have around Trey Young, and that's a, not a, not a small thing for me anyway. Yeah, and I think Reddish, you you hit on it very 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 briefly in that little 
monologue that he's been playing the two. And it seems to me, at least from watching him, that that kind of works for him. Like he's not big enough and strong enough and athletic enough to deal with LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard and guys like that. But you put him up against like Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell Pope and guys who run around off of screens and he's pretty slithery. Like he gets through screens pretty well. Like it's yep. not, you know, the high end comparison, of course, is Paul George because Paul George is one of the best getting through screens, you know, for wings. Well, and, like they, ever. and they have the same body type too. Like right, yeah. honestly, if you stand, like, I'm, I, you, you talk to him, he's skinny, man. Like yeah, right now he's gonna he's gonna get stronger, and he's obviously cut up. Like I'm not saying he's not muscular because he is. Like he's he's he looks like he's certainly cut up and strong, but. Bulk wise, he's not a bulky guy right now. He's very lanky no, he's and skinny. skinny and lanky, and he but he doesn't let that skinny, lanky body like get caught up on screens as much as a lot of guys who are skinny and lanky yep. and tall. I agree. Like we, I mean, the the it's a more extreme example because Kevin Durant is taller and lankier and skinnier for his size than than Reddish is. But like he just he, you see Durant try to like navigate through a screen and it, you, they just switch everything because it's impossible. Like he just can't get through it because he's got so much just surface area for that screen to hit. And and Reddish is obviously not as big and as lanky, but he's got a lot of surface area for a screener to make contact with. That's why small guards get through screens better than big wings. And that's why Paul George is such a phenomenon on the defensive end is because he's big, he's got that length and he just never gets hit by a screen. And Reddish, still gets hit, still gets just mashed by screens every once in a while where he just takes the wrong angle or is indecisive about which, whether he's going over or under all that sort of stuff happens to him. But when he, he has, he's flashed the ability to just sort of slither his front shoulder, you know, dip a shoulder and get right around the screen and stay on the guy's hip. And that's an interesting skill set for a guy who is at his size. Like that's, 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 intriguing to a different extent than you know deandre hunter being able to match up with lebron james it's you know it's it's an interesting sort of thing where we sort of i think the long-term vision of the team when they drafted hunter and reddish was that hunter would play the four and reddish would play the three and and collins was going to play the five with herder and young in the backcourt it'll be interesting to see sort of how that develops if reddish is more of a guard defender than a than a, than a wing defender and you know where Kevin Herter fits into that because he's real long and sort of skinny and long as well. Not not sort of the same kind of guard defender, but he's got some certainly you know he's got some skinny and you know length to him as well. So those you know how they fit those two guys in, whether Reddish is even good enough to be a starting three or whether he's more of an off the bench guy like a, a Kevin Herter clone that you just sort of bring in off the bench that may that might make some more sense. But just sort of thinking about where he's going long term that sort of ability to swallow guards with his length and then get through screens is certainly, you know, pretty intriguing to me. Yeah, I, I, uh, I definitely agree. And, you know, right now, if you had to pick somebody to guard a, a big wing, it would be Hunter for sure. Um, yeah. Out, out of the and they two. do every time. And, and that, yeah, right. And that's, that's the way that that goes. But, you know, I will be intrigued to see if they let Reddish take, the, I mean, he's covered some of those guys when Hunter's off the floor. And done okay. It's not been great or anything. I think he's probably better off the ball right now than he is on the ball, but it is what it is. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's... He's uh, not quick twitch enough to be an on-ball defender, I don't think. Like not, against, yeah, stopper, not against primary like guys. He just, yeah, he's not going to be able to flip his hips quickly enough. He's not just he's not quick twitch enough, but he knows what he's doing off the ball, and that's, what, that's for off-ball def- defenders, I think just what's between your ears matters way more than what your, your body type looks like. So obviously like if you put his brain in Trey young, it wouldn't make a difference. But like <laughs> you, if you have a, well, Trey, Trey, Trey has a good brain. Trey, Trey, Trey actually knows what to do most of the time. Trey like, knows what to do. He just can't. And like, it's, it is what it is. That's why we don't between the two of us on this show. And, and in general, the conversation is never about like, Oh my God, Trey young is such an awful defender. It's like, yeah, we know he can't, it is what it is like there. He's going to get, you know, he's not going to be the worst defender in the league. We've seen a little bit more yeah, you know, from flashed, him in the early part stuff. of the season. His effort's better. Now. His, his like, effort's been better, for sure. Nobody needs to criticize why he's so below average on defense, because it's like, obviously, he's below average. It is what it is. Uh, whereas Reddish, like, he's got the NBA defensive body and physical profile, and it's, just, it's so now it's just about, like, can he put it between the ears? Can he put it together between the ears to be a good help defender? And I think he's already there. And so it's it's that part has been really intriguing for me to watch, you know, so far this season. And when 
you know, the, the conversation, of course, around his offense is sort of dominated, but the defense is just as important as the offense, I think, long term. Certainly without one, you know, if he's really ridiculously bad on either end, it's going to just derail his career in a, in a way. But the fact that he's good enough on defense and the fact that he's still trying in the wake of his offensive woes makes me bullish on him long term, I think. Yeah, it's a pretty big endorsement for someone in myself that routinely talks about how bad rookies are to come on this podcast and tell you that a one and done rookie um, is already like knows what to do on defense and executes and Cam does that already. So that's a huge thing. It's not a small thing, even though I'm sure people are rolling their eyes a little bit at this, but it is it is what it is, man. His defense has been good. I mean, like we could we could probably look through the draft, look through the the, the 2019 draft and try to rank these guys in terms of like just overall defensive value. And just, you know, through the part of the season that we've seen, like not future value, just what we've seen from Cam Reddish versus the rest of the draft. And like, because Zion hasn't played and, and, you know, that certainly helps as well in terms of his overall ranking in that perspective. But I think he'd be like top five, I think in defensive value provided by, uh, by a, a rookie this year. So like, he's been, really solid on that end of the yeah. floor, especially I think, for I think Hunter and Rush would, would both be in the top five, six, yeah, probably of the, uh, because I mean, think about it. think about the guys who are, I mean, obviously Brandon Clark would be up there. Um, yeah, there, there are guys who are probably, Tybal Tybal is the only, uh, one of the only ones that have been as bad as Rush on offense. Um, yes. Along with Jordan Poole, I would say I uh, go blue. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, we can move on from that, I think. Uh, and by, by the way, please go read Jeff's piece on Peachtree Hoops. It's worth your time. Live from Los Angeles. Um, last thing, man, before I let you get out of here, uh, look ahead a little bit to the rest of the week. I know this is posting late Tuesday into Wednesday morning, but the Hawks are at home again. On Wednesday against Milwaukee, they are, uh, at this moment in time, 10-point underdogs, or maybe 11-point underdogs, because Jabari Parker is questionable, and if he doesn't play, go back to our conversation from earlier. Uh, if, if Jabari's not available, uh I can't imagine them beating Milwaukee. I, I mean, I, it's not impossible when you have Trey Young, um, but man, that'd be tough. Um, yeah. And then Friday in Detroit, and then a back-to-back against Toronto. My big picture, my, my bigger picture question to you is: somebody asked me this on the radio earlier today, actually. Um, so I'm going to ask it to you. <laughs> I think the way they said it was: how much does this stretch actually matter in terms of wins and losses? And I, I was taken aback by just the way it was asked, and then I thought, you know, not really at all. I mean, the, the only the only reason that it matters is if you are really interested in making the playoffs. Um, I am on record as saying this is, de- this is still a de- de- developmental season. Would it be nice if they made a run? Sure. But there is no great shame in not making the playoffs. And I think the circumstances so far dictate that it's even more likely than it was originally. So my answer was basically that. And, you know, the schedule, the way it is in, in the rest of November, they're not going to be favored for another two weeks. So... Can they win a game or two? Certainly, but I mean, how much do you care about wins and losses right now? If you're, you know, put, put yourself in the mind of a Hawks fan, does it? How much should it matter to you whether they win these games or not? I don't think it should matter literally at all. Uh, I haven't been. I, I don't think it didn't matter last year. It didn't matter the year before. It doesn't matter this year. You know, I think by next year, the the, the wins and losses start to to matter a little bit more. But certainly, certainly right now, given where the team is without Herder, without Collins for an extended stretch with the the weird team construction in terms of you know the the sort of higher paid players that they have you know either coming off the bench or not coming off the bench in terms of you know Chandler Parsons depending on whether he you know ever sees the floor again after his disastrous stretch against the Lakers like they've got a lot of money tied up in some not very good players they've got a lot of future value tied up in players who are either suspended or injured right now like this the wins and losses literally couldn't matter less of course how those wins and losses come about that matters that matters a lot you know in terms of getting beat by 71 points in back-to-back games again you know against the lakers and clippers like you'd like to see something that's not that like you'd like to see something a little bit more positive than that so the wins and losses in terms of how they come about i think matter but in terms of the like literally what, you know the the number on the wins and the number of losses. I I don't think it matters literally at all. Yeah, I mean, I, I could argue that it matters a little, but I I generally don't think it does. I mean, these guys want to win. Um, the coaching staff wants to win. They're upset when they don't win, as they all should be. But big picture, take a take three steps back. You know, the circumstances are kind of brutal, and I wish they were a little bit more competitive at the moment. But 
you know, if they are suddenly, you know, they're four and nine right now, the next, I think it's six or seven games, they're going to be underdogs almost certainly in all of them, barring an injury. You have Milwaukee, you have at Detroit, you have home for Toronto, home for Minnesota, who's playing pretty well, at Milwaukee, and then at Indiana and at Houston. I mean, you're a substantial underdog in all those games, particularly yeah. without particularly without Herder and Collins. So that's the rest of November. If you are suddenly, we'll give them, we'll give them a win. I would say they probably average something like one or two wins over that seven game sample, um, just because of the way that's the way the NBA works. They will win probably one of those games or two, but that that puts you at you know five and fifteen, five and sixteen, and it's not impossible at that point to make the playoffs, but it's not likely even in the East. So I don't know. It's just interesting to talk about in some respects. I, I do I do want to emphasize that this was always, in my opinion, and I think you agree with me based on what you just said, a developmental season. And, you know, the playoffs were a possibility, and we both said that. It wasn't like I was picking it, but it was certainly a possibility given the East and given the bottom of the East particularly. But now that this has all happened, it's even more a developmental season than it would have been originally, and it was already supposed to be that. So, Yeah, I mean, this... This team, and we talked about it over the summer, the team that won 29 games had a point differential of like a 24-win team. And then they got worse in terms of their role players. Kent Bazemore downgrade to Evan Turner. There, there, there was some Prince noise. Downgrade there, to the rookies. There was some noise in there just because of they were obviously better than that with Collins. But yes, I you know it's you can't assume, and honestly, you can't you can't assume health. Obviously, the suspension this year is something you can't you know. You can't quantify and you can't plan for, but there's always going to be an injury or two. It happened to be Collins for 15, 20 games last year, and that hurt them. They were different after he came back, but even then, they were still like a 31 team. It wasn't like they were yeah. a 41 team with John Collins in the lineup. Um, when he's on the court, they were, but that's not how that works. So Right. So if they were a 41 team after Trey sort of got his stuff together, after John Collins came back, they were you know, in that 30-win range. Then they got worse, and now Collins and Herter are injured, and it's just like this. I mean, this, I don't know. I think it was always, to me, it was always a developmental season. I picked them for like 30, 31 wins. I was not any anywhere near the playoffs in that in that sense. You know, I certainly had some, you know, I was higher on Chicago, and they haven't been, you know, quite putting yeah, it together me yet. Me too, so that, was, some, that was bad. That was very stupid. There's my some eyes. opening at the bottom of the East, but I don't think the Hawks still are going yeah, to be the one. Who's, who's going to fill that one? There still is an opening. Unfortunately, yes. the Hawks will probably be too far out of it for it to actually matter. Um, but I mean, this is going to be mean, and I, it's not mean, I promise you. But if the Hawks were trying to win, and if the Hawks, if the, if the Hawks' sole focus was to making the was making the playoffs, they would not be starting Cam Reddish. I can assure you, they would be playing Cam Reddish probably, but he would not. He'd be playing like. No, I, I'm no at, at full strength. At, if this team was at full strength, full roster, he wouldn't play. If if the no, entire if the entire and by the way, I'm not advocating this. I'm saying if not at all. if you were in but a just winner, if they were if, trying to win, right? If you were in a win or die scenario with this roster at full strength, he wouldn't play. And I'm not no. that's that's not a shot at him. He's a rookie. It's what it is. But that's just a reminder of like this is a developmental season. They're they're still trying to win. But they're still doing things like kind of willingly that are not as good as they could do on the court right now, and that's that's the and by the way that's a, that's the correct approach. Play Cam Reddish, yeah. play DeAndre Hunter, like play these guys. Honestly, I advocated earlier in the season to play Bruno. I think I've backed off that a little bit because Bruno is kind of lost. But if they started playing Bruno twenty minutes a game, I wouldn't be upset. Like it would be it would no. be an adventure. But if they just looked at the roster and said, "All right, we want to see Bruno as much as possible," I'm okay with that. It wouldn't be good probably, but. If you want to look to the future, that's that's what the season's for. I mean, it'd be unfortunate for the vets and for Trey, who's been awesome and probably is going to be an all-star this year. But other than that, like, if you're just looking to the future, like, that's what you should do. Yeah, it is absolutely what they should do. And so that's and that's sort of what we had baked into our conversations around the team in the preseason. It's yep. like, yeah, we this is sort of a, a developmental year. They, they, developmental they, they could go balls to the wall if they bad. wanted to, but why? Like, it's not – right. it doesn't – I mean – it doesn't they, fit with their long-term vision. They've been so s- smart about taking it one step at a time and not skipping steps and not fast-forwarding anything and just really, you know, even when they had a ton of cap space, not necessarily blowing it like the Knicks do every year. It's like they're trying to build something and, and fast-tracking that in, you know, to chase the eight or seven seed in the East is just not, like it's just a terrible idea. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a quote from Lloyd Pierce that you actually tweeted out from Los Angeles, and it is, you can't fast forward the growth. Yeah. That's what he said. Um, and I 100% agree with that. Um, we will see. And by the way, I, I can and probably will in like March just make the argument once again that missing the playoffs this season is better than making the playoffs because congratulations on, on the eighth seed in a first-round loss to Milwaukee in five, maybe four. Um, Probably I, I would I would prefer the lottery pick personally if I was if I, if yeah. I was a, if I was an invested emotional Hawks fan I would prefer the lottery pick it's just especially now with the lottery like if you if you're sort of in the six to ten range you've got a much you've got a sort of a better chance than you did before like it's it's a as we saw last got, season <laughs> right like you know that could have been I mean the, the Hawks got happened. very unlucky so I think people are a little bit gun shy by that because they actually got kind of railed in the lottery last yeah, year. Yeah, they did. That um, was unfortunate. But the odds are still in your favor to, you know, potentially get lucky again and go back the other way. And yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's uh, that's, yeah. a top, that's a topic for far down the line. But we covered yes. a lot of ground on this podcast. Uh, Jeff, you're going to, as, as, as I said earlier, you're going to go away for a while. But um, tell people what you got going on uh, and I guess why you're gone. And, you know, you just wrote a, you just wrote a bunch of stuff on PeacherHoops.com. I haven't written much because you've been writing everything, which I appreciate. But um, yeah, plug yourself. As we, uh, yeah, as we uh, you can follow me on Twitter at JG Siegel at Early Bird Rights. Earlybirdrights.com is your home for salary cap stuff. Is was supposed to be your home for something else that has not come to fruition in the last four weeks, but we're still working on that. Uh, that I'm not, you know, can't talk about quite yet, but we're very slowly sort of working toward this this bigger project that should be up on Early Bird Rights at some point. I promised at the beginning of the year, and now it's obviously a month in, and we haven't done it yet, but we're working on that still. Um, I've got four articles that are already written that will go up while I'm gone every Friday, I believe, uh, over the next four Fridays about sort of big picture stuff, big picture changes, big picture ideas that I've got for the league that you'll sort of see those come up as the, uh, as the weeks progress while I'm gone. That Those will be up on early bird rights. I'll have salary cap stuff up on early bird rights as well, but it may be a little bit delayed because I'm going to be eight to 10 hours ahead of, of East coast time. And I'm going to be running around museums and hiking and doing all sorts of cool stuff in, <laughs> uh, you know, Eastern Europe. So I'm not going to be like locked in uh, like I usually am, but if something happens, the I'll update the cap sheets. If it's big enough, I'll write about it, but, uh, it won't be quite as timely as, as you guys are used to Peachtree hoops, same sort of thing other than I won't have anything really. I don't think for Peachtree hoops over the next, I'm not, three and a half I'm not going to allow gone. you to do anything for a month. So congratulations. I probably won't. If something may, it would have to be something absolutely major. Like if they made a trade, I'd probably write about it. But like, you know, for these next few weeks, they're probably not going to December 15th is sort of the unofficial opening of trade season, especially this year, because that's when most players who signed over the summer are available to be traded. I'll be back on December 15th. So over those next few weeks, maybe we'll have something, but these next three weeks from today, I don't think we're going to have too much going on. Um, other than that, I mean, Petrie hoops is your home for all the Hawk stuff. I wrote about the Clippers game, the Lakers game, and then cam reddish over the last three days. As we, as we speak here on Tuesday night, read that stuff. That's going to be the only thing you're going to read from me on the Hawks for the next, maybe roughly month or so. So, enjoy that. Or if you don't like me, then don't enjoy that and read something else. And you'll be very happy that I'm gone. Um, Jeff, I, I have to say there, there are some people are like that. that don't like you. That's just, that's just what I, happens. I've heard about that. I've never, I haven't seen very much of it, but I've heard from you and from some other people that there are some people who my, just don't, my favorite don't activity, like me. My favorite, my favorite activity on Twitter is the people that um, immediately tagged me and things that they don't like that you say. As, yes. a, as if I am responsible for your Twitter feed, which I really appreciate. Yes. Uh, Jeff, I also a... like when they tell me or they tell you that I'm not a good fan because I think Luka Doncic is better than Trey Young. And I, and that's I, always fun. My, and my response is always Jeff is not a Hawks fan, nor, nor has Jeff I've ever never been a Hawks, been a Hawks fan. fan. I've so. never been a Hawks fan. I lived in Atlanta for a few years. That's how I got started, but I am not a Hawks fan. I, I'm not an anybody fan. I'm not a Mavs fan. I'm not an anybody fan. I'm a, I'm a fan of my own. You were a rare, tapes. a very rare basketball atheist. Like even you yes. were never a fan, right? Of any team? Nope. I like, grew up in San Diego. We never had a team. Yeah. The I Lakers mean, were Clippers. too popular and the Clippers sucked. <laughs> and I just never, never yeah. latched on with anybody. I mean, I obviously grew up a Hawks fan and I'm, it's, it's certainly different now than it was. I don't have the same fan brain that I used to have, but I obviously have the point of reference. Uh, you do not. So there you go. Nope. Uh, anyway, thank you for joining me as always, my friend. We will uh, talk on this medium probably in about five weeks from now um, or something like that when I beg you to come on. But uh, thank you for joining me. As for everybody else, 
please subscribe to this podcast. You will not have another podcast unless the world ends. Um, until after the game on Wednesday, I will be in the building at State Farm Arena against the Bucks, and I'll be recording live from there. At least that's the plan on Peachtree Night. Shouts to Peachtree Night. Be a lot of fun. A, a night I, entirely developed to, uh, to I guess, um, I don't know, dedicated to PeachtreeHoops.com. That's, that's what I heard. It should be. That's absolutely what I'm going the with. The jerseys, no everything was de- dedicated to PeachtreeHoops.com. I appreciate all the Hawks. Yep. Uh, Shouts to Max Strauss, who's listening to this podcast right now. Th- thanks, for, thanks for doing that for us, Max. Appreciate yep. you, Hawks employee. Um, but anyway, let us. Uh, we'll we'll send him. We'll text you addresses, Max, to send us our, our jerseys with our name and number on them. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I'm not a jersey guy at this point, and I'm not a jersey guy. But at I'd this hang point. that up in my room. But if yeah, hundred percent. I'm. I actually might. If I had like endless money, I would probably buy one for everybody on this on the Peachtree Hoops staff. I just don't have endless yes. money, so um, I do not either. I'm spending a lot of it to go on this trip, so I'm definitely <laughs> not in a spot where I'm spending a couple hundred dollars a piece on on jerseys. Things are full circle. All right, Jeff. Thank you. As for everybody else, we'll see you on Wednesday evening live from State Farm Arena.